Welcome to episode 38 in the series Classic Take. We will take a classic topic of Mashiach and dig into it further. Today's topic comes into continuation of the previous episode, which we discussed the wars of Mashiach. And the question today is, which wars will Mashiach fight and how will he fight them? She is dedicated to the Schos Odiyadin in Eretz Yisrael and around the world. In the previous episode, we discussed at length the idea of Mashiach as a king. It's very important, as I highlighted, to understand the halachic definition of Mashiach. The halachic definition of Mashiach is that he is a king, and we discuss what the role of a king is according to Torah. There's primarily two things. is internally to run the country, which we call mishpah, judgment, and is externally this idea of waging war, which is to provide security for the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And the wars, as I mentioned, there are two, two categories of war. There is Muhammad's mitzvah, those wars that are obligatory, which include the war against the seven nations which inhabited the land of Israel, which basically means the full conquest of the land of Israel. And there is the war of Amalek, and also the war against any enemy who tries to attack the Jewish people. And in addition to that, there's also voluntary wars that a king could fight, if he so chooses for whatever reason to expand the borders of Israel or whatever it might be, and that's a different type of rules, a different type of war, the different rules and regulations are many more conditions that are necessary for the Amalchemus a voluntary war, which is a separate point. Now, it's important to understand in context, right? We, you know, every country has... You know, whether we have a king today, we don't have a king, but there's always governments that their job is to provide security and to wage war if necessary, or fend off attackers if necessary. The Rambam uses the term Hashem, the wars of Hashem. And the, uh, it's very important to understand that in Yiddishkeit, in Torah Mitzvahs, the war that a king is doing to conquer Eretz Yisrael, to wipe out Amalek, to fend off attackers, these wars are considered a mitzvah, they're considered a mitzvah, and the, the term that's also used for the wars of a king are the wars of Hashem. Even the voluntary wars of a king are also considered the wars of Hashem, and we'll soon understand why. So let's understand what is the meaning of Muhammad Hashem, the wars of Hashem. The Ramam discusses at the end of Herak Da'ad and Ilchus Mulach, and the Ramam discusses that the goal of the wars of a king is to break the evil in the world, to fill the world with justice, and to raise up the true faith. So basically, the wars of Hashem, if we want to put it in a nutshell, we, we, we could use the terminology which Al Rebbe uses in Tanya, we get a we're describing the attribute of, of, I think it's the attribute of Netzach, if I'm not mistaken, discusses there the idea of, of fighting a war for the sake of Hashem. He, he writes it in one line, that the wars of David HaMelech, that he was fighting the wars of Hashem was that there should be nothing stopping the revel- the, the, the glory of Hashem, the message of godliness being permeating the world. When David HaMalach was fighting his wars, he wasn't just doing it that the Jewish people should have security and they could just do whatever, you know, just have easy life. It's obviously important and necessary. And uh, the importance, the importance of eliminating enemies that are trying to hurt you. Obviously, that itself is a mitzvah, but from a deeper perspective, the ultimate purpose of this is the Jewish people have a message of belief in Hashem, and the nations of the world that were against the Jewish people, they were, so to say, trying to stop that message from becoming manifest within the world. 
And therefore, David HaMalach, the wars that he was fighting, he wasn't doing it as a personal battle, a personal grudge, whatever it was, it was to fight for the sake of the Eibishter. And this is also when the Rambam uses the term regarding Mashiach, that the job of Mashiach is to wage the wars of Hashem, which we discussed before, is the job, the job of every Jewish, proper Jewish king. Also by Mashiach, the wars that he will fight won't be for his personal honor to, to take revenge or whatever. So it will be because this is what Torah mandates. This is what Abishta wants. And ultimately the war is the fight of those elements in the world which are trying to fight Hashem which are trying to negate the revelation of godliness within the world. Now, the, uh, the, when it comes to Mashiach, so right, we know this is, as I explained before, this is the role of a Jewish king. I'm describing Mashiach within the role of a Jewish king. Now, when it comes to practically, what will, which, will wars with Mashiach in actuality fight? How will he fight those wars? So it's, it's very important just to get a certain perspective over here, right? In other words, there is the basic halacha of what Mashiach has to do. He has to fight wars because that's the job of a king. Now, will Mashiach have to fight any wars? Or won't he have to fight wars? How will he fight the wars? So in essence, the, the, the simple answer is that we don't know exactly how things will happen, as the Rambam makes it very clear. In Pedicut Beza Vilchus Mulach, and we don't know if, you know, you know, Mashiach could come just to give a, a perspective. You know, when the Ramam discusses Mashiach, there's two places in Mishnah Torah where the Ramam discusses, describes Mashiach. There's Ilchas Shuvah, Perek Tes, Allah where it describes Mashiach as a very wise person, wiser than Shlomo Yamalach, wiser than King Solomon, and, and he's a great prophet, almost to the scale of Moshe Rabbeinu, and all the nations are going to flock to learn from him, and the, the knowledge, Tir Bahadeya, Vachochma, Vahemis, wisdom and knowledge and truth will increase, and so on and so forth. And that description, you know, Mashiach is this, you know, problem solver, this teacher, this, you know, great prophet that everyone is coming up to hear his teachings. All the nations of the world are coming. And as a prime, the Parak in Shayo, Parak Bey speaks about how all the nations will say, let us go up to the house of Hashem and let us hear the teachings of Mashiach. And Mashiach will settle the disputes between nations and so on and so forth. So this is. Mashiach, a teacher, a sage, a prophet, somebody of extraordinary spiritual, spiritual and intellectual capabilities that uh, everyone is going up to. So it appears like, you know, this is a very respectful, a very pleasant, peaceful type of a Mashiach. Hilchas Mulachim, the way that Rambam, in, in the end of the Sefer, in Hilchas Mulachim, Perek Yudalaf, the way that Rambam describes Mashiach, Ramam is describing in a certain sense a different face of Mashiach, that he has to compel the Jewish people to fulfill Torah mitzvahs. He has to fight the nations of the world. He has to fight the wars of Hashem. It's actually a few places that the Rebbe says the wars of Hashem could also, doesn't necessarily have to mean that he's fighting the nations of the world. He's using a gun to fend off attackers, but it means that it's a spiritual battle that he has to fight against those Jews that are not interested, that have a different agenda against Torah mitzvahs. And Mashiach will have to, so to say, there will be opposition to Mashiach's teachings, and Mashiach, the, the, the Mashiach will have to, so to say, you know, compel them to do the right thing. So that's also a war. You know, there, there's an ideological war. Mashiach will have to fight, and uh, you know, a war of Hashem. But either way, regarding the, uh, the, the you know. The main, the, main, the main aspect of the wars of Hashem that the Ramam is talking about, that Rebbe himself explained, is not, you know, compelling the Jewish people to the Torah mitzvahs, but it's dealing with externally with the nations of the world. 
So the question, so so the question here is, how do we reconcile these two faces of Mashiach, so to say? Is he a great sage, a leader, a very smart person, somebody that everyone is coming to hear his wisdom and his teaching? Or is he somebody that he's forcing people, you know, by the power of, not necessarily the power of the sword, you know, force, there's multiple levels of force. Sometimes the forces with the sheer personality of a person, of a king, that itself, you know, makes a person afraid not to listen. But uh, well, what the meaning of force is a separate discussion. But on a very literal level, you know, a, a king would compel with the power of his position that he had, he had the ability to compel people to fulfill Taito Mitzvahs. So we're here we're dealing with a very different face of Mashiach. So, I mean, the, 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 the Rebbe explains in general, the Rebbe doesn't necessarily address this particular point, but the Rebbe explains in general that when Mashiach appears in the world, there's two steps, there's two stages. Originally, it is possible at least, I mean, it doesn't have to be this way, but it is possible that the world is opposing Mashiach. The Jewish people, so to say, are not yet ready to live a Mashiachtic life. A Mashiach originally has to compel them, just like in our own Avodas Hashem, serving the Ebishter. There's a scaf in this hapcha. First, we have to do what's right, despite the fact that it might not be so, so easy. Eventually, we're convinced of the, reason, of, of, of the truth of what we're doing, and there's this hapcha. Eventually, the, we, reach, we can reach a point where our animal inclination itself is transformed to Kedusha. Or when you have a child, a very simple, you know, example of raising a child, you can't just let a child do whatever the child wants. If the child wants to use a knife to hurt themselves, obviously no one in their right mind will let them do that. So first, you have to discipline the child. When the child grows older, he, you don't have to discipline him anymore, at least regarding those things that he wanted to do as a child, because the child themselves realizes that this is what they should be doing. So similarly, when Mashiach first arrives on the scene, there could be opposition. And Mashiach, opposition in multiple fronts, internally within the Jewish people, not necessarily opposition to Mashiach, but in other words, Mashiach, is, they're not yet ready to hear and accept what Mashiach has to say with a willing heart. There might have to be a point of compelling. Mashiach will have to make sure they do it, or they, you know, will have to maybe even internally in our own Avodah Hashem, we will still have to subdue our own Yitzhar Hada. And then eventually there'll be the point of Ishapcha, where We'll, we will all accept and understand the truth of Mashiach's teachings, the truth of his kingdom, and we will accept him open-handedly. won't have to force us anymore. The same thing is regarding the nations of the world. Originally, there could be a point where the nations of the world will stand up against Mashiach. And, and this is actually the idea of war of the war of Goyga Mogik. Dramum doesn't really speak about the wars of Mashiach. Although, like I mentioned in the previous episode, many Midrashim you know, they, they, they significantly <clears throat> highlight the various battles, whether it's Goygumogig or Armilus or Rome, different battles that Mashiach will have to do. I mean, keep in mind that, you know, dealing with the, the, way, the way the world was and still is to a certain extent today, in order to establish an independence, you have to fight a war. I mean, it's, it's not just everyone says, oh, you know... Uh, we're so sorry for the Jewish people. We'll let them give you a country. And then five days later, they, they're against the Jews, as happened in 1948. But, you know, there are wars that are fought. You know, that, that's the way it works, even today. So in, in, in a very simple scene, within, so to say, more of, a uh, more of a rational, natural approach to Mashiach, Mashiach will be the one who will be successful in waging wars of overthrowing those nations that are opposing, they're trying to hurt the Jewish people, 
and they're trying to oppose true Jewish independence in the land of Israel. But again, does, does, Mashiach, does Mashiach have to come that way? Not necessarily, but in other words, as a basic, in other words, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the um, so to say, the basic building blocks of Mashiach, the way unless things happen in a completely different mode where the world itself is inviting Mashiach and the world itself will submit to Mashiach willingly, there will be a concept of Mashiach fighting wars. There's, you know, uh, so when we're talking about the war of Goygu Mogig, for example, what is, which is described in the prophets at length, and the Rambam actually mentions it. The Rambam, as I mentioned, does not discuss so much all the other wars that various Midrashim speak about, which is they're trying to give some type of, you know, means of, of, of describing that Mashiach, how Mashiach will establish independence. It's through these wars that he will wage. But the Rambam, like I mentioned in the previous episode, doesn't get into the details of the wars because the Rambam doesn't hold that they really make a difference ultimately, halachically, how to define who Mashiach is. However, he will wage the wars. The ultimate goal that is necessary is that Mashiach should establish true Jewish independence in the land of Israel and the nations around them won't try to start up with him. So how he accomplishes that isn't much of a, a difference. And if it, Mashiach comes naturally, they will have to be accomplished in a way of war. And even if he comes supernaturally, there will be, uh, you know, so to say, supernatural war. There'll be dread, there'll be fear, but that the nations of the world will, won't, won't try to start up. But the ultimate way of Mashiach coming is that the world willingly accepts him, you know, that they're waiting for him, they're inviting him, they offer him the, the throne without him having to have to fight anyone. But anyway, but the, there's the, 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 going back to what I was trying to say, the Rambam mentions the war of Goygum Mogi. That is one war that the Rambam just briefly discussed. He doesn't even get into detail about it. And, uh, but he mentions the concept. Now, on the War of Goygo Mogig, what is the concept of the War of Goygo Mogig? I mean, the, the War of Goygo Mogig is, uh, you know, something which is, as Raman himself writes, a bit, a bit ambiguous. Many people might have heard different things about it. And, but without getting into all these uh, theories, which have kept a lot of people busy, according to the basic wording of the Psukim, the Cheskel Periklamet Ches, the Chaya Perik Yudalad, and other sources, it basically means that all the nations of the world are going to gang up against Mashiach. When Mashiach comes and appears and uh, he starts doing his mission and Jews start returning to Eretz Yisrael, so then there will be uh, the nations of the world will, will try to stamp out Mashiach. And therefore, the Abishan, why are they trying to stamp out Mashiach? So the Potsik says in Tilim, the second chapter of Tilim, starting Lomar Ogshu Goyim, is actually also, as our sages explain, alluding to the war of Goygum Magog. And it explains that what are they fighting? Neged Hashem and Neged Mashiach. They're fighting Hashem and his Mashiach. And as our sages say, that the war of Goygo Mogig is directed against Hashem. They're trying to blot out godliness. In other words, in, in the simple meaning, what this is, the way the Maral also explains in Netzach Yisrael, in the Sefer Netzach Yisrael, Mashiach is introducing godliness to the world. The world itself says, hold on a second, we don't want godliness. We are, uh, you know, we live in a society where everybody could do what they want. Here we're introducing something which is beyond nature, something which is beyond, you know, materialism, something which is, so to say, destroying materialism. And Mashiach is coming to reveal the unity, the Achtos Hashem within the world. And there are certain elements in creation which are going to oppose it. And they will try to fight with Mashiach and eventually... The Ebeshit himself will, when they come, the Ebeshit himself will eradicate all those elements. And then the kingdom of Mashiach will be firmly established for there until forever. 
So if we think about it, the war of Gog and Magog, this great colossal war, which people speak about and hear about in essence, just again, just to dig down to the concept, what's behind it, what's behind it is that the world is opposing the message of Mashiach. And therefore, Mashiach is going to, and therefore, it's considered the battle against Hashem, because they're not fighting just Mashiach as a person, as somebody establishing independence in the land of Israel. They're, they're, they're fighting Mashiach as represent, somebody that is bringing godliness into the world. So therefore, the wars of Mashiach, getting back to the point that I was making for, the wars of Mashiach inherently are Melchomes Hashem, they're the wars of Hashem, they're the wars against those elements in creation in the world that are trying to oppose godliness, trying to oppose the message of Mashiach. Now, as I mentioned before, just as a just a, as a, as as, as a, you know side point, just you know as I mentioned before, the, the war of Gog and Magog doesn't have to happen, as mentioned in a number of sources. And like I mentioned before, the Rebbe's vision of Mashiach was Mashiach comes and the world is completely ready for him and prepared for him, and he doesn't have to fight anyone. On the contrary, various psukim sources describe how the world is helping Mashiach. So the Rebbe says that now, after all the exile, we don't need to expect big major wars in the country. Mashiach will appear on the scene. The world will help Mashiach. And there's also a tradition from the Vilna Goyen that if the nations of the world help Mashiach, there won't be Goygumogig. In other words, this is not a mandatory thing. But again, if we're talking about Mashiach coming as, a, you know, in any type of situation that it might be, then it, there is a possibility, in other words, conceptually, there is a possibility described in a number of verses of the world fighting Mashiach, and Mashiach is going to overcome them, be victorious over them. So this is, so getting back to the wars that Mashiach will have to fight, which wars will he have to fight? We don't, you know, we don't know exactly. There are various descriptions and various sources, but inherently, if we want to get down to the spiritual aspect of it, the wars of the Mashiach will fight in simple English, which the way to make it relatable to us is that anything that blocks, stops godliness from being revealed in the world, Mashiach will take away. And this is a war that each one could fight. doesn't have to fight it with a gun with bullets, but he could fight it with teaching, with educating, by bringing people close and to try to, try to overcome those elements that are trying to block godliness from being revealed. Now, there's one war that Ramam doesn't clearly mention in, in, in the laws of Mashiach, but itself understood this is one war that Mashiach will have to fight in a, in a very practical way, which is the war against Amalek. As I mentioned before, the Ramam describes three things that are Melchemist Mitzvah, three things that are obligatory war. There's the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, or that eradication of the seven nations which inhabited the land of Israel when the Jewish people went in. There is the um, wiping out of Amalek, and there is fending off any attackers that want to attack the Jewish people. So fending off any attackers is just an open-ended thing. It's not like there's a specific obligation for him to fight any particular person. It's if there's someone that comes to attack the Jewish people, Mashiach will have to fight them if anyone dares attack, which we know that eventually no one will anyway. Everyone will make peace with Mashiach. Um, the war to conquer Eretz Yisrael. So there, as I mentioned before, it could happen in a miraculous way that Amam describes and as a Geddes Teman, the Ramam has a very, much very different description of the arrival of Mashiach than he has in Achos Malachim. He describes Mashiach as a miracle worker that appears on the scene, and every, all the kings are terrified from him. They don't want to dare start up with him. They want to have to fight. You know, the Medrash said that if Mashiach will use spiritual battles, if a nation 
will, will rebel against Mashiach. Mashiach will curse them that a locust should come and attack their crops and they'll have to submit to Mashiach. We have the Pasuk, Mashiach will eradicate evil with the breath of his word, with, with, with the words of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. So Mashiach will have, as explained in many sources, even if we'll have to fight wars, we'll have supernatural capabilities. We'll be able to fend off any attackers in such a supernatural way that everybody will be terrified of him. But there's one war that Mashiach will have to fight in a very literal way. That is the war of Amalek. Again, what I mean that it'll have to be fought in a literal way means it'll be a war that will take place that a certain Amalek will have to be eradicated. And according to basic halach, it's the obligation of a king. The Ramam actually writes there's three mitzvahs that the Jewish people have when they come to the land of Israel. There's appointing a king to eradicate Amalek and to build a base Hamikdash. And the sequence has to be followed in that sequence. First, there has to be a king, then you eradicate Amalek, then you build a base Hamikdash. According to many sources, the same thing will be when Mashiach will come. First, there will be the appointing of the king, which is Mashiach. Then there's going to be the eradication of Amalek. And then the Mashiach will build a base Hamikdash, as I mentioned also. In the previous episode, the Rambam describes in the, in the stage of Cheskas Mashiach, the presumed Mashiach, he's waging wars. Only after he's successful in his wars, he starts building the Beis HaMikdash, and then he gathers and disperses of Israel, which makes him Mashiach Vade, definitely Mashiach. Now, the war against Amalek we cannot do today. The reason is, number one, we don't, have, we don't know who Amalek is. And number two, we don't have the physical means of putting our lives in danger if we're going to kill Amalekim. When Mashiach will come, that will be the time that Amalek, which represents those people in the world that are they're, that they that they oppose the, the Amalek, as we know, was a nation which hated the Jewish people with their very essence, and they they had to be completely eradicated. They then even today, as it's known, those terrorists and those people that uh, you know, for example, the Germans. There was this tradition that some some of the Germans came from Amalek. And, you know, those people throughout the generations that, you know, were the most vicious of the Jewish people, you know, again, it's not necessarily everyone comes physically from Amalek, but according to some sources, they're the descendants of Amalek over there. So that those people cannot have any tikkun, they cannot have uh, any rectification, it will have to be wiped out in a very literal sense of the word. And this will be something that will be the job of Mashiach. Now, this too could happen... In a supernatural way, you know, it could be that the Abishir himself will wipe them out, Hashem himself will wipe them out, as some sources suggest. But at least from a halachic perspective, this is something which, you know, if, a, if Mashiach comes and he goes in the land of Israel, there's no opposition. Just like when it says that the Jewish people would have entered the land of Israel if not for the sin of the spies of the Miraglim, they wouldn't have to fight. The nations would have, you know, left on their own. So Mashiach will enter Israel, will he have to fight anyone? Not necessarily. When will, will there be anyone that will attack the Jewish people? Not, again, it could be, could be not. But in Milchemes Mitzvah Amalek, that war, of, that obligatory war, which is to wipe out Amalek, this is something that has to be done. Now, this is something that could, perhaps it could be done by Hashem Himself. But again, from a halachic perspective, this is something which is the obligation of a Jewish king will be the obligation of Mashiach to, to do. Spiritually, as Rebbe explained in a number of places, that Amalek, since Amalek negates, Amalek is, is a nation which at their very core is part of their very DNA to oppose and to try to annihilate and kill the Jewish people. But Amalek also represents that element that tries to oppose the revelation of godliness. Amalek tried to stop the Jewish people from receiving the Torah. 
And that is why before the building of the Beis HaMikdash, Amalek has to be eradicated because Amalek represents that nation which opposes godliness with their very essence. And therefore, before Mashiach builds the Beis HaMikdash, will have to be the wiping out of Amalek. And similarly, in our own Avedas Hashem, our own Avedas Hashem, before a person could have a Beis HaMikdash, could have, you know, established, make himself into an, a, a place of revelation of godliness, he has to eradicate that aspect of him, which is Amalek, which tries to question and, you know, and, and, and the existence of Hashem and tries to, you know, Amalek became atriosophic, Amalek tries to throw in doubts and so on and so forth, tries to oppose. Amalek is something, as Chassidus explains at length, is something which does not have any tikkun. The only way, it's a type of evil that you cannot deal with. You have to just eradicate. So and that is the, the um, you know, the, the akshonus of Klippa, the fact that, that it's, 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 Klippa just wants to oppose godliness just because. And that is something that a person, a yid, has the koyach to eradicate by, by just connecting, by not allowing himself to be distracted by the claims of Amolik. That's the way we stay safe from Amolik. Hashem should help. We should have the coming of Mashiach and the building of the Beis Hamikdash take of Miyad Mamish. Classic Take is produced by Tudal's Podcast Productions, producers of the Daily Boost, the Weekly Fabrengen, Power Fabrengen, and Mashiach Mindset Audio. Available on all podcast platforms.